We have a couple pictures, so we'll jump into those if that's all right. So we have a couple pictures. Uh, anybody know what this weekend is? <laughs> all right, and, and this was last Sunday before church. And, uh, and hunters, I'm not picking on hunters. I, I've hunted for a lot of my life, and, uh, but there were four of them, and I was trying to get all four together for a picture, but they weren't, they weren't, uh, but uh, I know we have some people out hunting, but uh, God's creation is pretty amazing, and as we... Uh, as we consider uh, all of God's creation, I just thought that was funny. As I was, there was uh, some other people and I we were coming into the church, and we didn't know if these guys were going to let us buy them to uh, to go into the church, but they did. That's our church greeting committee, and uh, first impressions—they're uh, doing a great job. So. Uh, one other thing I, I want to share with you about is our Mizpah fundraiser. And I know people faithfully give to Mizpah uh, regularly throughout the year, uh, but we have some special projects. Our desire is to get the lodge up and running. The cabins down below uh, have groups, uh, especially during the winter, but uh, throughout the year, and it seems to grow each year. And we've been doing some special projects. We've had issues with the water. There's two springs, and so one of the things they suggested with the water is to, to create a, a positive way in which it'll go rather than a negative way of creating swamps. And so we've been working on this uh, pond there behind the, one of the down below cabins, and uh, so you'll see it's been a beautiful addition and also directs the water in a better way. Uh, but our big focus has been the lodge. And we're almost three-quarters of the way to our goal, and we set a lofty goal for this project. And we have one more picture, some of the things that are taking place up uh, in the lodge. We've been, uh, all the plumbing and mechanical has been being put in. The electrician has been up there. The, the fire suppression things that need to be done are uh, prepared to go when when we get a little more of the electrical done for them to be able to go in. We had some people up yesterday uh, working there, some volunteers. And uh, so we'd like to finish strong. Uh, our official fundraising end for this special fundraiser of the upstairs bedrooms and the downstairs ADA bedroom, uh, we're almost three quarters of the way there. And if God's blessed you, consider how you could help and we're excited uh, to see that lodge uh, be used uh, for, for our church, but also other churches and ministries around the state of Montana. Our goal is to, to be able to be involved in creating a space where people can come aside and spend time growing in their relationship with God, where churches and ministries can use that and to make it a, a usable and affordable place for, for ministries to go. So please see how you can help. And, and I believe, I think there's a lot of things that our church can do in our community and in our state that make a difference, and this is one of them. And so I pray that you would consider how you can help with that, and uh, we'll give God the glory for what he will do, and thank you so many of you for faithfulness. and in giving of your time and giving of your resources to help with that. 
Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that you are God. Lord, that your word is our foundation. And Lord, as we've been singing this morning, we can wait on you, we can trust you, and your word is sufficient for our lives. Lord, we pray that you would guide us as we look at that word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been beginning our journey through the book of Titus, recognizing that it is a blueprint for the church, God's blueprint for the church, and and we talked a little bit about the importance of the foundation, and we began the series last week, and and we talked about how throughout this book, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, that he was building a foundation on which the church was to be built. And we have this little or this larger game of Jenga to remind us of the importance of that foundation. And I thought it'd be really cool, you know, each week to just take one out and continue to build it up, but it would be pretty embarrassing if I caused it to fall over. So I, uh, so I cheated and, and put one back so we don't have as many. But each, each week we're looking at different things that can help us grow in our relationship with God and help us as a church to be strong. And so over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the things that Paul challenges us in as far as, as a church, things that are to be our focus, things that we're to have in place to be that strong church, to be built the way that God desires the church to be built. So as we begin this morning, I want you to, what, what do you think of when you hear the name Waco, Texas? All right, in your mind, what, what, are, what do you think about when you hear the name Waco, Texas? As we get uh, closer to winter, you may think of warmth. Maybe you think of Baylor University, which is located in Waco, Texas, or or if you're into fixing up houses or interior design, you may be thinking of Chip and Joanna Gaines and uh, their show and now network on fixing up houses and uh, uh, there are other things you could maybe think of when you think of Waco. But one of the top associations when people hear the name Waco, Texas, is David Koresh. Now, do you remember that name or maybe Branch Davidian? David Koresh began what we would call a cult. It broke out of a religious belief system, but they sort of went way off the deep end. In February of 1993, David Koresh and the Branch Davidian became famous because on February 28, 1993, a a federal raid occurred. Four federal agents were killed. And from that day, a 51-day standoff ensued until April of that year. The standoff ended when the compound was burned to the ground and nearly 80 members of the group died. But this group was a cult, a a religious organization, we'll put it gently, with unique beliefs. 
David Koresh considered himself, and that wasn't his, uh, he changed his name to David Koresh. He considered himself a messianic figure. And this group twisted Scripture to, to create a set of rules that they called on their people to follow. The leaders, David Koresh and others who were leading the group, were given great power and the ability to, to satisfy their own desires. But we see in Titus chapter 1, Paul was writing to Titus and in verses 10 through 16, he warns about the dangers of false teachers and the actions that Titus and the people of the churches there on the island of Crete, the actions they should take in response to false teaching that occurred there in and outside the churches. Beginning in verse 10, we see that these false teachers are described. Follow along as I read verse 10 through the first part of verse 13. It says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So, he starts by describing some of the characteristics of the teachings of these false teachers. We see that their teachings are not scriptural. Verse 10 describes the character of these false teachers. We see that they were insubordinate or rebellious. They did not want to be accountable to anyone. They wanted no authority in their lives, but they wanted to hold authority over the lives of others. And if you look at, at false teachers, they want the power, but they don't want any authority that would challenge them and their teaching. So they were rebellious or insubordinate, as it says there in verse 10. Not only that, they were idle talkers. And you may read that and you say, that's sort of strange. What does that mean? Well, one way to describe this characteristic in their lives is that they could say nothing beautifully. And you have to break that down to understand what, what I mean by that. They spoke smoothly and persuasively, but they had no truth to stand on. Their speech would motivate others to follow their false teaching, but their false teaching had no basis on which people should follow. <coughs> Idle talkers. You may uh, think of people that you hear and you say, well, they don't have much to say, but they sure say it nicely. <laughs> and these people, these false teachers, both in their time and in our time also, were able to persuade and sway people to follow them, but they had no truth on which to stand. And then we see also there in verse 10 that they deceived others. They engaged in the desire for a type of mind control. Often they would create fear that holding an opposing opinion would bring negative consequences. And so oftentimes they, they directed people by fear. 
Now, Paul said something very interesting and completely contrary to that idea. He said, though myself, Paul speaking, though myself or, or any others teach, or an angel from heaven teach any other gospel, let him be accursed. But these people wanted, wanted their followers to, to follow exactly what they told them to do. And that teaching would give them power and control. And then verse 10 concludes with an example of false teaching, and he describes it as the circumcision. And this was a group of, of Jewish teachers. They, called, they were given the nickname the Judaizers. They, they talked about Christ... And they, they pointed to what Jesus Christ had done, but then they added the need for following the law. Not only the Old Testament law, but they also created other man-made traditions that these people were, were to re, be required to follow in order to be considered a follower of God in their false teaching. They deceived others. But not only were their teachings non-scriptural, but their motives were evil. Verse 11 tells us that their motive was dishonest gain. And these false teachers were becoming rich and powerful off of the control of others who followed them. And we see this very common product in cults. The, the leader or leaders become very wealthy at the expense of those who follow. Oftentimes, they, they tell the people they must sell everything they have and come and join and, and give all of their things to the group. And the religious leaders become very wealthy and controlling. They have evil motives. Seeking financial gain, as Paul mentions here in verse 11, but also power and the ability to fulfill their own selfish desires. Their motives are evil. But we see also in, in verse 12 that their behavior is disgraceful. And verse 12 connects the character of the false teachers with the general character of the culture in which they lived. And verse 12 is actually a quote from a 6th century B.C. Cretan poet named Epimenides. And the description of the false teachers is contrary to the character that Titus called for the people to look for and those who were chosen to be leaders in the churches of Crete. Those, those characteristics that we looked at last week that were uh, listed in verses 6 through 9. Look at a little bit of the comparison. The false teachers were selfish, while the teachers, or excuse me, the leaders they were to choose as leaders in their churches were to be selfless. The false teachers had evil motives. The leaders they were to choose were to be godly in their motives as they desired to serve God and others. The false teachers were proud. The leaders they were to choose were to be humble. The false teachers taught what was contrary to the Bible, but the leaders they were to choose were to teach from the principles of God. The false teachers pulled people away from God. The leaders they were to choose were to point people toward God. And we could go on. 
But we see this contrast. And so in those previous verses, Paul had challenged Titus as they chose leaders in the churches there on the island of Crete to choose choose people that were godly and humble in, in their character. But these false teachers were proud and ungodly. But what was to be their response? The end of verse 13 and verse 14 shares our response to false teachers. It says, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. It was vital that Titus and the churches respond to what was going on because of the destruction that the false teachers were causing. It wasn't something that you could just ignore But it was something that that the people there and the churches there needed to deal with. And we see two basic responses that they were to have. One would be to rebuke them, to rebuke the false teachers. Paul says there in verse 13, rebuke them sharply. It was not something they were to handle lightly. It's also important to notice the goal of the rebuke. The goal of the rebuke was that they may be sound in the faith. The goal was that they would be restored. The church is called to restore the fallen and strengthen the weak. And and the goal would be to point them and lead them back to the truth. Now, they had to understand that there would come a time when those who caused the division were to be cut off. Later in his letter, we look at his chapter 3, Paul told Titus that after the second admonition of those who were causing division, that they were to be put out or, or cut off. Jesus spoke of the same issue when speaking of church discipline. We read about it in the book of Matthew. The goal was restoration. When somebody had done something, to go to them one-on-one and then take another person with them and then bring it before the church. But through each of those steps of church discipline, the goal would be restoration. And we have, in our church as well as other, obviously, churches, have... Church discipline, which is not a fun, but a very important responsibility. With the goal of restoring that person or those people who aren't following the principles of God's word. And so they were to be rebuked with the goal of restoration, but a recognition that that rebuke needed to be A serious thing. So they're to rebuke them, not just ignore them, but they're to ignore their teaching, the second response. And Paul goes ahead here and shares two different areas of false teaching that the people of Crete were facing. He said that they were not to heed Jewish fables. There were many Jewish fables from Jewish mythology of angels and men and gave excessive power to angels and drew people away from the worship of God alone. We're familiar 
to some extent with Greek mythology, but the different cultures had different mythology, and, and part of this Jewish mythology led to the worship of angels. And Paul was telling Titus, don't fall for the Jewish fables. These non-biblical teachings which take us away from the worship of God. But he also warned them to avoid the commandments of men. These commandments of men, man-made rules that many of the religious leaders had set up for the people to follow. Following God simply became following a set of rules, a checklist for godliness. And what would be the, the ultimate result of following these commandments of men. Our relationship with God simply becomes an outward set of rules that we're to follow. And there's no real change in our lives. Also, the power of those who set the rules. Pride coming into being as people would have others look at them and be impressed with them for their godly character, which basically was the goal of not life change, but the goal of look at me. And we see that throughout the Gospels as Jesus interacted with the religious leaders. Because it was taking place not only in Crete, but, but during Christ's lifetime, and it's the religious leaders took the power of and control of others' lives as they set all of these rules, these traditions of men for them to follow. And, and it is easy for us today to fall into that same trap. A relationship with Jesus Christ isn't just a set of rules. A relationship with Jesus Christ is allowing Him to change us from the inside out. And yes, we will live differently, but we live differently because of what Christ is doing in our lives. And then we see what we could call the conclusion in verses 15 and 16. And really, more than a conclusion, it could be an evaluation as Paul exposed the character of these false teachers and what would take place for those who followed them. He says this in verses 15 and 16, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. He broke this conclusion, this evaluation down into two areas. The inner lives of these false teachers and their outer lives. And he begins in verse 15 by, by letting Titus and the people know that, that nothing that these false teachers could do would please God because their motives were wicked. Their attitude, their goal pointed to a worthlessness of any actions that they performed in, attempt, in any attempt to look godly. You see, these false teachers wanted others to look at them and to be impressed. And their goal for whatever they did was a goal of pride. Look at me. 
Remember Jesus telling the story of the, of the publican and the Pharisee who were praying. And the Pharisee said, look at me, that I'm not like him. And they were famous for doing things to have people look at them and say, wow, you're spiritual. But rather the prayer of that sinner in Jesus' example there while the Pharisees said, look at me, I thank God I'm not like that guy. But that guy was the one who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we need to recognize that when our goal is to impress others, our actions are worthless. And so Paul said there, those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. But then he goes on and talks also about the outward lives. You see, ultimately their ungodly motives would be exposed in their actions. Because as their motives were revealed, their character became obvious. Now, you may be saying, okay, John, that's a, that's a nice little story, and, and God had it in Scripture, so it must be in Scripture for some reason, but I don't plan on selling everything I have and moving to a compound in Waco, Texas. Uh, it's not there anymore. It got burned down. But uh, something similar, maybe going to South America and joining this, uh, this group wherever. So it really doesn't affect me. Well, I think it affects each and every one of us. We still face the danger of false teaching, people who prey on others with non-biblical teaching and ungodly goals. I could go through a long list, but just look at a, a couple examples that we see prevalent in our world, in our nation. Things like the prosperity gospel that just, you know, the more you follow God, the richer and healthier you become. And so obviously any time that your circumstances aren't good, it's because of sin. Now there are times when we have negative circumstances because of sin. Just ask Jonah. He, he sort of got wind of that. But as followers of God, we have difficult circumstances. We live in a fallen world. We have struggles. But the prosperity gospel will tell you, oh, we also have the nickname health and wealth. Just follow Jesus and all your problems go away. Well, your ultimate problem will go away because Jesus Christ will forgive your sins and be your Savior and eternity is changed. 
but we still face hard things. Health issues, financial struggles, relationship struggles. But yet, you'll hear people say, oh, just believe God and all your problems go away. Or, I've come across this one recently. A group that that broke off from a, a church and they're teaching that as you grow and as you follow their leadership, you will become sinless. Now, the Bible tells us we will become sinless. That happens in glory when our lives, when we spend eternity with Christ, our bodies are changed. This mortal will put on immortality. That's called eternity. But throughout our lives, we struggle with sin. And it's a daily battle that we face. And so we see that there are false teachings outside the church, but in church. And so we need to recognize the importance of facing false teaching. To recognize it and to respond to it. And so I'd like to close by answering those two basic questions. Number one, how do you recognize false teaching? John Stott in his book on 1 Timothy and Titus gives three ways to recognize false teaching. First he says this, is the origin divine or human? In other words, is it revelation or tradition? Truth has its foundation in God's word, the revelation of God to us, while false teaching comes from the traditions of men. So is it divine or human in its origin? Is its essence inward or outward? Is it a spiritual change or simply a ritual to follow? False teaching points to and emphasizes rituals to follow while truth is focused on an inward change based upon a relationship with God which will lead us to changed actions. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as I am transformed from the inside, yes, my outside actions will change. I should be different because of my relationship with God. But it takes place because of what God is doing in my life, not simply because I'm following a set of rules. And that leads to the third is the result of transformed life or merely a formal creed. It's the third of those recognition things that John Stott shares. Again, a changed life. Or simply following a set of rules to impress people. And the second question is this. How do you respond to false teachers? And Paul has been sharing this in these verses we've just looked at. What do we need to do as individuals and as a church? We need to teach truth clearly. Now, there are things that every one of us will get wrong. There are things we will never understand till eternity. 
And, and just think about, have you, may, maybe you have a list. You say, okay, these are the things that I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Because there are some things that we won't fully understand. Now, I think that I'm, if you have any questions, I think I probably got it right. But if you hear me say I have everything right, guess what? <laughs> you may need to take me to Titus chapter 1. But we need to recognize the importance of teaching truth clearly. And anything that's taught, we need to go back to God's word and see if it matches with his word. And if somebody comes and says, I have a revelation, your antenna needs to go up. What is that revelation? Is it divine revelation? <laughs> In other words, from God's word? Teach truth clearly. You've all probably heard the story. It's used as an illustration oftentimes on how to tell a counterfeit bill to know the real thing. What do we do to protect ourselves from false teaching? Be diligent in God's word. And then when that counterfeit shows up, we recognize it doesn't match with the truth. As Paul shared the characteristics of godly leaders we just saw last week in verse 9 of Titus 1, the importance of understanding God's word and teaching it to others. That's the foundation of everything we do. So we respond by teaching truth clearly. We respond by not allowing those false teachers a platform. Verse 11, Paul said, their mouths must be stopped we must recognize the extreme danger of false teaching and stop it. And then thirdly, we need to live holy lives that expose their hypocrisy. And we saw that in verses 15 and 16. In verse 16, the, the character of the false teachers would come out. But as followers of Christ, we are called to contrast that character by living godly lives that reveals the characteristics that were described last week in verses 6 through 9. Teach truth. Don't allow a platform for false teaching. And live holy lives that will be a contrast to the hypocrisy and pride that come out in false teaching and improper goals and non-scriptural plans and teachings. So we face false teaching, but we have the truth of God. And we as individuals and we as a church family need to stand strong in the truth Share the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Firm in our foundation. And loving in our message. And may God be glorified and his world be changed as we grow in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as almighty God, you love us more than we can imagine. We thank you for your grace, your mercy in our lives.
Lord, help us to stand firm in the truth. Lord, to to know your word and to follow it. Lord, help us to be transformed, to be changed from the inside out as we allow you to work in our lives. And Lord, that we would be different. It would be different because what you do in us. And Lord, that that transformation would glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.